Hey guys, just a quick note before we begin that the show may contain spoilers and adult language, but that's just because we know how to have a good time. Stick around, you'll be glad you did. You are here for me to enlighten you. You ever act like this again, you're barred for life. It's just vile and base. It's kind of embarrassing. If you know your lines, then you can forget them. Oh, I get it. It's very clever. <laughs> Hello, peoples, and welcome to Esoterica Cinema, the podcast where we take films from the cinematic multiverse and discuss the hell out of them. My name is Jason Peters, and with me today is the man who once seduced Catherine O'Hara at a water park wearing nothing but a neon pink mankini, Mr. Ryan Siebold! What's up, Jason? I wasn't home alone that night. Oh. Hey, hey buddy, buddy, buddy. <laughs> What's going on, buddy? Not much. I mean, I've seen you in that outfit, by the way. Dude. It is a sexy, sexy outfit. Just mwah, fantastic. Oof. Does you justice, buddy. Yeah, I appreciate you. Um, <laughs> I was just doing my best uh, my best Sean Connery Zardoz impression. Um, it it came, out of the, came out of the Connery line. she always struck me as uh someone to be a good time can you confirm or deny that i can neither confirm or deny that uh can't give up my secrets you're a gentleman sir i keep all my secrets in my uh in my mankini bandoliers that were given to me (laughs) in connery reputation Legend has it she came away satisfied. So well done, sir. Well done. We've yeah. actually got a movie to talk about here today, buddy. Why don't you hit our audience up with a description? This is Zardoz, as previously <laughs> referenced uh, in a terrible way, from 1974, directed by John Borman. Uh, this is his follow up to Deliverance. In the future, Earth is ruled by Eternals, an advanced and secret sect of beings who reign over a savage group called Brutals. The Eternals have created a god named Zardoz to intimidate the Brutals, making them believe that killing is their natural state. However, Zed, played by Sean Connery, a brutal warrior, challenges that assumption when he enters the Zardoz monument and is captured by uh, an Eternal. There, he learns the truth about the Eternals and the false god that rules society. Little statement on, uh, on religion, on politics, on power the ruling class, uh, in the most apeshit crazy way you could imagine. (laughs) Um, This movie uh, dares to ask the question, uh, what if L. Frank Baum's Wizard of Oz had a thousand percent more titties? We'll see. Let's take a look. (laughs) Let's take a look. Uh, Jason, what did you think about this film? I have thoughts, Ryan. I have thoughts, and we're going to talk about those thoughts right after we listen to this trailer for Zardoz. Zardoz speaks to you, his chosen ones. The gun is good. I don't know. It is the only path and passage into the vortex. You will show me how you come to be here. 
My name is Zed. Osandos, I am an exterminator. Now, Ryan, here's the thing that we can all acknowledge, okay, is regardless of whether you love or hate this film or just neutral on it, it's like the most 70s film that I've seen in so long, man. Just everything just pours out of its body in this very sort of surreal, hippy-dippy way. There's a lot of, like, acid trip sort of visual imagery and soundscapes and, like, uh, yeah, it's just kind of, it's... A hallucinogenic experience for people who have never done those before, or maybe for people who have as well, right? Who's to say? Either way, it's a batshit crazy film. That being said, to answer your question, Ryan, and I was really surprised because I love me some batshit crazy films, and I especially love, you know, surreal sort of films, films that play in this kind of space. Didn't love it, man. I I really didn't, and I, I think a large part of it is... There's a lot, it's so just, it's not off the rails in a good way, it's off the rails in terms of like, halfway through that movie, if not sooner, it doesn't know what the hell it wants to be, it doesn't know what it's trying to say, and it just became really unfocused, and after a while it just became, let's just keep throwing weird shit against the wall and hope some of it eventually sticks. And uh, so, it was one of those films where, it was sort of like uh, lessening returns the more it went on. You know, at first I was all about it. You got the floating head thing and crazy speeches and, you know, the, the weird Zardoz guy with the pencil mustache and all that crap, right? And so it's like, okay, dude, like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm down for an experience like this. And then, like I said, halfway through, I was just like, this movie doesn't know what the hell it wants to be. Did you feel otherwise? This movie to me felt like a rated R version of something Sid and Marty Croft might have made, like H.R. Puffin stuff or Land of the Lost, like one of those quintessential 1970s uh, kids shows. Uh, but again, uh, you know, very edgy and rated R. Um, it also felt very DIY and low budget, which I was very surprised knowing uh, I knew yeah. going into this, this was John Borman's follow up to deliverance, which he was nominated for a ton of awards for, I think he did win a couple, uh, not any Oscars, but a, a, a few, but he got a lot of attention. I mean, we all know the theme from deliverance squeal like a pig, Burt Reynolds, the whole bit, Ned Beatty. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, this being his follow up and then Sean Connery, of course, was coming off of James Bond and, in doing some research, I found out uh, basically he was having a rough go being typecast as Bond. Nobody really wanted to hire him. So this was kind of his way to uh, his like breakout. Also, uh, I'm, I was finding out in some of my research that Sean Connery is both the, the best and most amazing 
human being on the planet, but also quite a bit of a chauvinist and womanizer as well. Uh, there's a little bit of a give and take on Connery, uh, I guess, as you start to peel back the layers of that onion. But uh, overall, I heard he's he's a, a delight to work with. He just wants to bang everything that moves. He's kind of a living, breathing James Bond. Like <laughs> he's all about it. So, uh, you know, and this this movie let him, you know, kind of showcase some of those talents. <laughs> <laughs> uh, pelvic thrusts and everything yeah it was all you know it, they it, this movie was horny um it, 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 <laughs> basically asking the question if, if you live forever and there's no need to procreate um would you still get aroused would you still be turned on was there any need for sex and uh that's kind of my takeaway from this whole film, pair that with what I was saying earlier, kind of challenging authority and and uh, you know the powers that be, the ruling class versus uh, the, the the working class and so forth. Uh, so I don't know. I I I I think this is. I feel two things about this movie. One, this movie is a a, a hunk of junk movie. This is a piece of shit. Uh, but uh, two, I like this movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so nuts. That's- it's so nuts. That's There's nothing accurate. else on screen that I've seen starting from, and you started to talk about this. We'll get into it. The, this movie opens with a floating head and some haunting ass music. Um, I'm not going to lie. I was like a little, I was a little frightened by this opening. I, I can't even tell you why <laughs> it, it affected me in a primal way where the head starts way, way off in the distance. And he introduces himself as this God and he starts to float uh, this this dismembered floating head gets closer and closer to screen as it's like going around. Basically, it goes around the screen like the DVD logo that we all used to wait to hit the corner or like a game <laughs> of Pong. It's just like bouncing from from edge to edge on the screen and uh, getting closer and closer into your face. And as it gets closer, you see that he's dressed like some kind of Egyptian ruler, uh, albeit he's the most Caucasian person you have ever seen. He looked very much like Eric <laughs> Idle from Monty Python to me. Uh, and he's got a pencil mustache and beard drawn on his face with like a Sharpie, <laughs> like Donald Trump's predicting a hurricane uh, Sharpie. Like, that's the best way. I, I, I've got nothing. And, oh, by the way, he comes back later. We find out more about this gentleman who he is, what he's up to, why he's on the screen, and he's still got the mustache and beard. So I don't know, man. <laughs> That's why I just have to laugh at this film and, and realize it's ridiculous. I love it for being ridiculous. Um, it's it's one of those things that you, you put on and say, wait, you get a load of this. Uh, I hope you're ready. And so everyone listening out there, all three of you, I hope you're ready. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man, it's a it, it lets you know up front that it's batshit crazy, and uh, so you know, and that whole sort of scene he's talking about how like this is something that hasn't happened yet, but it's going to, but it might, but then again, it might not. It all depends how it goes. Kind of just, I guess, sort of embracing its fairy tale nature to a degree, but it's like some weird tripped out. Uh, how would you d- dystopian sort of I don't know so let's 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 get into the movie here the the movie takes place in the year 2293 which by the way apparently fabric is in short supply because all of these people wear these red mankinis uh, to go with these stone masks by the way and there's a bunch of these people they're on this hillside with this foggy backdrop and basically this floating stone head descends from the sky 
and the throng of people flock to it, and it addresses them. And this is probably the most famous visual and most famous scene from the movie. I do have a clip to remind people or to tell people who haven't seen the movie, give you a little taste of the film. This is the opening from Zardoz, floating Stonehead addressing the people. Zardoz speaks to you, his chosen ones. You have been raised up from brutality to kill the brutals who multiply and are legion. To this end, Zardoz, your god, gave you the gift of the god. The gun is good. The The penis is evil. The penis shoots seeds and makes new life to poison the earth with a plague of men, as once it was. But the gun shoots death and purifies the earth of the filth of brutals. Go forth and kill. And so, Ryan, of course, right after that is where it just vomits out a bunch of guns, right? Just all over the hillside. (laughs) And and lets you know the penis is evil. It shoots Penis is evil, dude. It shoots (laughs) Like we just heard. (laughs) So all uh, all, all you dick farmers out there with your dick seeds... Uh, holster your guns because this ain't the movie for you. (laughs) (laughs) Your time's up, guys. That's what we're saying. Your time is up. is evil. In 2293. (laughs) (laughs) However, the mankini industry thriving in 2293. Yes. Yeah, especially with connecting bandoliers. So uh, all those European, uh, all those European clothing manufacturers got a head start. By the way, looks painful to ride horseback uh in a mankini uh, that was my takeaway they're riding horses uh a la planet of the apes kind of rounding up uh troops of or or uh clans you know of of uh rival uh bandits i guess or or people basically we find out later i'm just going to go ahead and dive right in we find out later they're they're rounding up people that want to have sex and procreate uh, they were told the penis mm. is evil, it shoots seeds, as we talked about. So uh, now you have these um, groups of uh, renegades or, or bandits uh, that are going around and rounding up anyone that wants to break that rule and, uh, for lack of a better term, fuck. So uh, you want to procreate, you want to make some kids, uh, that ain't happening, so saith the floating head of guns. And uh, <laughs> as they're riding around on horseback, rounding these folks up with nets and, and shooting them and whatnot with the guns that were given by the head, uh, we see, um, yeah, it just looked really painful to, to do that in a Mancanian bandolier. It's not good. <laughs> and all this we learned later, you know, earlier, like right before the credit sequence. So that whole thing happens when all of the people are gra- gathering their guns, Sean Connery takes out his like, you know, Smith and Wesson handgun or whatever, points it at the camera shoots bang title appears for zardoz the film he wakes up after the credit sequence and he's inside this floating head of zardoz and it's floating through the air we can see out of the mouth that just vomited up all those guns 
And uh, from there too, Ryan, you know, we also get a taste of the set design, which was really pretty interesting. A number of different sort of flavors throughout. What did you think of the set design overall for some of the different sequences? Uh, so this is what took me to sit in Marty Croft. It felt very Land of the Lost, uh, very HR Puff and stuff. Uh, it was, you know, they, they go into that like mirror room eventually we'll get to. Uh, there's yeah. a lot of like crystals and stuff. You're right. It was very, very 1970s, low budget, but in a, like almost like a Saturday morning cartoon kind of way. Also, they do something very strange to the lens of the camera. And I read online, basically the... the the, the DP uh, added a filter, um, overexposed a little bit, and blew in a bunch of fog. He was really trying to make it feel like almost like a, um, uh, like a painting, um, a classic painting or, or something kind of vintage, very dreamy. Uh, a lot of the footage I heard was unusable, and the studio decreed that none of that style of filmmaking will ever be done again because they had to go through so many reshoots <laughs> and, and they wasted so much film. So um, wow. the, the overall look of the film, uh, that dreamy kind of weird ethereal look, uh, was very intentional. And yet, uh, don't don't try this at home, kids. Because <laughs> the studio <laughs> was pissed. Well, and I get that too, because I think it's one of those things where, you know, whatever your intentions were, it just kind of came out looking muddled. And, you know, I think that especially when, you know, you're already shooting in such heavy fog, I don't really know that you need to like obscure your focus that much after that. You know, it's already really thick fog. You know, we don't need to, to, to make it any more difficult to see. And I also think that more so than just sort of giving us a sort of muddled palette, so to speak. The atmosphere is really set largely by the sound design as well. You know, so we've got a lot of really interesting kind of, you know, chimes and clinks and glass and that sort of juxtaposed with these sort of low unsettling synth tones and, you know, some of just like the weird Pink Floyd acid trip sound effects that kind of, you know, go stereoscopically from one side to the other. I think all real, all that really serves to set the environment more so than just because, yeah, at times it, it kind of looks like they just sort of like it's like there's a piece of saran wrap covering the lens. You know, it doesn't necessarily make it. Look, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like some Vaseline or something. Those classic. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. To get that dream look. Yeah. So, so he, uh, here's a little uh, nugget I'm going to drop on you. You may already know this. This may be something you were going to hold on to till later. I apologize if I'm stealing okay. any thunder, but we could discuss it. Uh, but th right now is when we need to talk about this. This was shot by Jeffrey Unsworth, who it was Stanley Kubrick's DP on 2001 A Space Odyssey. Um, he wow. also went on to go shoot Superman. Uh, the original and uh, Cabaret. Uh, this guy's got a line of credits. So this is somebody that did this. This isn't just like, yeah. you know, a bunch of dudes that you've never heard of that branched off. Um, I will say 2001 A Space Odyssey, I believe that was his last movie he did with Kubrick. Kubrick went on to go work with John Alcott on movies like Barry Lyndon and, and stuff moving in uh, to the 80s and uh, 70s, uh, past 2001. So maybe Kubrick uh, had enough of that <laughs> shit, too. I also know he liked to be involved with camera and stuff like that, too. So, uh, you know, maybe he wasn't looking for an actual director of photography, but more of a camera op to reference, and and he could still be in control. He seemed like a pretty in-control dude, that Kubrick. But, uh, yeah, I, I just <laughs> thought it was worth mentioning that, that you know, the, the DP from 2001 A Space Odyssey, which is 
heralded as some of the greatest cinematography, uh, at least for its time, if not of all time, the way that the techniques and tricks they used, um, you know, I thought that was worth mentioning. <laughs> this, that guy shot this thing. <laughs> yeah, no, that's crazy, man. I A, I didn't know that, so don't worry about uh, stealing any sort of thunder or anything like that. Uh, you're always, you know, much more educated when it comes to the DPs and cinematographers and camera techniques and things like that than I am anyway. So no surprises there. But um, what you know, I really wouldn't be surprised if this pro- uh, project, the the film as a whole, was just the product of a massive amount of drugs, right? Like whether it was hallucinogens or blow or whatever. I feel like it was just one of these things where, dude, you know, they would uh, they they would just you know do a bunch of rails and be like, yeah, man, you know, it's going to be this. And then we're going to, you know, throw this like hippie cult thing out there. And then the cinematographer's like, yeah, man. And then I'm going to do this like crazy sort of like Vaseline covered lens thing. And it was just one of those things where like nobody was around to tell them no. And so everything just kind of just didn't fit together. I guess you could sort of say. So right after this, um, right before this, we mentioned John Borman made uh, Deliverance and got some got some credibility and this and that. Went to Ireland and and uh, he was trying to shoot an adapt a live action adaptation of Lord of the Rings and got turned down. It was known as an unfilmable book until Peter Jackson took it up and gave us the version that we all know now. Uh, it was also done in an animated version that I think is on our list. Actually, I'm looking forward to getting to that uh, down the road a bit, yeah. but. Um, uh, by the no, no, by none other than uh, the guy that gave us Fritz the cat. So we'll see how that plays out. But um, <laughs> yeah, the, the <laughs> uh, so he went on to go right after this. He goes and shoots Exorcist Two: The Heretic, which is known as one of the worst films of all time. Uh, everyone hates that movie, including Billy Friedkin and the author of the novel. Um, and then he goes on to shoot Excalibur, which is kind of an acid trip uh, take on Arthurian legend. So, yeah, this guy was kind of a trippy dude, uh, Irish guy, lives in Ireland. Uh, and then Sean Connery signs up just to kind of regurgitate his career. He has some clause in his contract at this point that says that he cannot be kicked off set for for lack of a better term. And I'm really uh, summarizing here, paraphrasing, but uh, uh, sexually harassing the talent uh, and, and asking for retakes <laughs> when there's nudity involved and so forth. Um Sean Connery's horny at this point. And I will also add, so are his co-stars who were excited about being naked with Sean Connery, who's known as James Bond and one of the sexiest people of all time at this point. So uh, this was a horny movie, total drug trip uh, over in Ireland. They used a lot of locals uh, from the surrounding town as extras. Crazy. Yeah, man. So let's get back to the film here. When he awakens inside that head... There's all these people that are sort of wrapped in, like, some sort of plastic, like they're action figures or something from the Matrix or something, right? And then Zardoz, who is actually this guy – what was his name? Do you remember his 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 name? His character's name? Yeah, the Zardoz guy. Arthur. There you go. Arthur Frey, right? Yes. Yeah, so he comes out. Zed, who is Sean Connery's character, jumps out by surprise and shoots him. And then that's basically enough to smote this guy who's supposed to be like a god or something. And he sort of flies out of his mouth. He's like, why did you do this? I could have shown you everything. But, like, he also seemed pretty okay. And, you know, so he ends up flying out and the head lands later on the lush green hillside like we're talking about with all of the different um, 
fog and everything like that. And, you know, he's sort of walking around and he sees this house. It's like a sort of like a farm type house. Right. And we do get some cool set design right there. Sort of like funky tubes that are kind of going all around. There's like these vibrant blue walls. And then there's these sort of like flour mill things or something. I wasn't 100% sure what they were. Who knows if they did either. But uh, he walks through the house. He finds this like shrine to Zardoz that has a sort of music box. Within that is a ring that ends up projecting this report of Arthur Zardoz. Uh, talking about the uh, sort of like a, pro, uh, a produce report, like uh, which of these different vortexes and areas have surpluses and scarcities of various supplies. So, but that was kind of the the first and last that we explore that to any sort of degree. And I think that is ultimately what ended up drawing me out of the film the longer it goes on because they keep introdu- introducing these ideas and these concepts that are ultimately pretty cool in and of themselves, you know, but nothing ever goes anywhere. It's like, okay, cool. We do this thing and that's out of the way. And now we move on to this thing. So it's constantly introducing these concepts without really exploring them at the end of the day. And then the ones that they do, you know, weren't really the concepts that I found interesting. So like what concepts uh, are they introducing that they weren't uh, following up on? I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just curious. Yeah, so for example, there's there's that whole thing, right, where it's like, oh, okay, you know, it's going to set up some sort of conflict with supplies, and maybe he's going to have to, like, grab supplies from this vortex and take them to this vortex to save these guys, but there's going to be some, like, space pirates or something or whatever, right? Like, could be something like that, but it, it just, you know, there's ultimately no reason for that to happen. It doesn't really go anywhere with that. Um, there's a lot of stuff about... Um, would be a good thing. So, like, a little bit later when he ends up going to the hippie commune, uh, the whole thing with, like, the green bread, for example, you know? Like, like I don't, why is the bread green? Like, what does that have to do with anything? Like, they just sort of put it out there. And then the whole nature of, like, the apathetics, you know, these people that are sort of just disengaged and they're lifeless zombies and they don't really have sex. Like, outside of just setting up that final moment where he supposedly, quote-unquote, liberates them, like, why are they that way? Like, what do, what do they have to do with anything around the story? Uh, right. Know, the, and then the whole scene with, like, the, uh, what is it, like, the, the, the guy that freaks out uh, with the cult where they're trying to get him to, like, ascend to the second level or whatever, which I have a clip I'll play later, and he's like, the no, second level. no, don't do it, blah, 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 I won't go to second level. It's like, what is second level? <laughs> Who is this guy? What the hell is going on to any oh, degree man. of anything? This I understand movie is nothing about level. this scene. <laughs> <laughs> so there was just a lot of things that will come up over the course of our discussion where it was just like, again, like that could have been something interesting if I knew what the hell it was about and how it was connected to anything else. So that's what I mean to answer your question. You're not wrong. <laughs> I was just curious. Yeah, I think the whole thing with the the supplies and the ring – uh, was really just to start dropping breadcrumbs that there was more to what, like, you know, obviously we, I, we're going to talk about this and I'm not going to, to get jump too far down the, the rabbit hole here, but, uh, but yeah, the, the, his class of people were being used to get supplies for the utopian class of people. So you have like the dystopian mm-hmm. and the utopian and this, this group of eternals that have learned how to live forever using, uh, these bandits to, cultivate supplies and, and get them what they need and and to not procreate and control their population and all of that so uh the ring was just saying you know basically a status report letting us know like 
there's something going on here that these people are being used or whatever. Um, anyways, yeah, that, I mean, that was my takeaway yeah. from it. But yeah, you're not wrong. There's they give you a lot in this movie to unpack, <laughs> and uh, it's just a lot of packing peanuts. And then you get down to the bottom, and it was like this big old refrigerator box with packing peanuts with like this tiny little thing inside. It's like, man, that was a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of packing supplies for just this one little thing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, and then, you know, from there, so he ends up going outside and he sees this naked chick on a horse. And of course, being Sean Connery and exhibiting the behaviors you just mentioned, he follows her and he follows her to another half naked chick, which I'm going to call orange headdress for the most of this program, because for the longest time, I did not know her name. I just knew the chick with the orange headdress shows up and she has some sort of thing to play in here because she's got a lot of scenes, but Never really quite understood how she fit into the larger piece I of everything. I think her name is May. I think her name is May. Um, and then, uh, so you have May, you've got Arthur Frayne okay. Z- slash Zardoz, and you've got Consuela and Zed. Those are like our big four. And then there's uh, uh, the, the, the friend. They just call friend. There is no name for him. Uh, <laughs> the, those are really our, our main characters, and that's it. Everyone else is an extra slash one of John Borman's neighbors <laughs> that he had to come in. And <laughs> yeah. And from there, we also are introduced to one of the locations that we're going to go to time and time again, which is the tabernacle. And that's this big, uh, well, it's not big, but it's a crystal room with a bunch of mirrors and what looked to be sort of like frozen dead bodies in the walls. And this is basically the room that they use to explore Zed's mind and project his thoughts and memories, etc., onto this screen that they can watch. And the idea is that he's this brutal, quote unquote, right? You you kind of spoke to this earlier, where there's the the dystopia and the utopia. So there's the brutals that live in the dystopia, and there's the you know elevated class, if you will, that lives in the utopia. And they're kind of that traditional sort of hippie society. And as you mentioned, they basically have renounced sexuality of any sort and so when he shows up they're like oh we can use this to study the human erection because we've never actually uh understood the relationship between uh, thoughts and you know she tries to sort of postulate that there's a, a sort of violent element to what stimulates man i do actually have a, a clip of that as well where she's presenting him with all this information and uh, convincing the rest of the people to accept him. So let's listen to that clip real quick. Penic erection was one of the many unsolved evolutionary mysteries surrounding sexuality. Every society had an elaborate subculture devoted to erotic stimulation. But nobody could quite determine how this becomes this. Of course, we all know the physical process involved but not the link between stimulus and response. There seems to be a correlation with violence, with fear. Many hanged men died with an erection. You are all more or less aware of our intensive researches into this subject. Sexuality declined, probably because we no longer needed to procreate. Eternals soon discovered that erection was impossible to achieve. And we are no longer victims of this violent, convulsive act, which so debased women and betrayed men. So she makes her case, and eventually everyone agrees to let him stay. From there, 
we sort of get these shots of him walking around. Like I said, you know, we've got this sort of green bread stuff. And then there's another thing that they introduce and just sort of go away, which is the notion of like punishment through aging. Where if it kind of reminded me of the lobster, actually, a little bit in like in reverse, you know, in the lobster, how they could like add days before they got turned into an animal by by hunting. This was like the opposite of that, where if you do something bad, we're going to age you. And that's going to that's the only way that you can age is by is through sort of punishment, so to speak. So as yeah. long as you're on your best behavior, you pretty much more or less get to live you know, forever for or as close to it as you can. So um, that's a, that's an interesting take with the lobster. I hadn't thought about that, but you're absolutely right. This is kind of almost exactly like the opposite of that. <laughs> yeah. And then, like I said, we're introduced to these apathetics, which is this group of people that are sort of zombies and don't engage in any sort of sexual activity. By the way, Ryan, uh, can, can we acknowledge uh, how how uh, plausible and uh, long term of a business model is creating a civilization where death is encouraged and procreation is not? What do you mean? I mean, it just seems like, OK, so you're the whole thing is how they're like teaching the, this group of people uh, that, you know, procreation is evil. That's why the penis is evil because it spews seeds, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, death is liberation. Da, da, da. So like. I don't know. It just seems weird. Like you're literally going to run a society and discourage procreation and encourage death. And somehow we've made it to 2293 without the race going extinct. Seems weird to me. Well, they, they could live. So the, the Eternals, hence the name, have found a way to live forever. So they no longer need to procreate. The whole thing is about resources. So they have limited resources. And with more mouths to feed, with everyone living forever, um, you know, they had to kind of shut off the valve, you know, for lack of a better term. Uh, that's kind of a direct, that's not even a metaphor. So, uh, so, and then same with the, the savages that they have working for them, i.e. Zed slash Sean Connery, you know, all his homies, uh, they got to keep them in check from procreating because they'll use all their own resources and there'll be none to give to the Eternals because they have them all but working for them. So uh, that's what I'm saying. shut off so the like valve the- and, and get rid of procreation, hence the penis is evil because there was only so many resources left on earth after whatever happened happened to get them here does that answer your question okay, and no? s- yeah it does but so here's the thing i mean it, it, it so the zardoz group of people which would be again we'll call them the utopia is manipulating the dystopia right like that's the yes. thing is is the dystopia is one supplies. vortex so they could have yeah, a the, utopia the, the, and not have to work and just live in paradise Correct. Yeah. So what I'm saying is for literally hundreds of years, these brutals have been lorded over and convinced not to procreate and to kill everyone. So how are they still a race? I understand on the utopia, they live forever, but they're they're not the ones that are being instructed to go forth and kill. It's the dystopian brutals that are being instructed by the utopia. Right, right. So the ones that they're killing, that we see Sean Connery hunting down, that they're giving guns for, uh, they're hunting people that haven't bought into this, that are still procreating. So there are savages out there okay. uh, that are Got still it. procreating, and they're all the um, Eternals are, are trying to do, and this was all Arthur, Arthur Frayn's idea, he's like, let's arm them. Uh, some of them and train them to hunt down the procreators to try to thin that out and control it and wean it back um, in the same way that someone from Wisconsin might go shoot deer. Uh, you know, <laughs> you, you know, they're going to be back. They're going to make more deer, but you want to thin it out. Otherwise, you're going to have a, you know, an over 
population of deer. So you need to thin the herd a little bit. And that's, I think, what they're trying to do is let's arm them, let them thin themselves out, police themselves. And hopefully through that, they'll be so caught up amongst policing themselves and, and worshiping the God and killing themselves and being scared of each other that they won't worry about us. So that that was kind of yeah. my take on it. And then in doing so, over time, the Eternals, uh, taking this conversation back to where you were, uh, have lost sexual desire or understanding of sexual behaviors because they've spent so long not procreating so as not to exhaust their resources that all of a sudden now here comes Sean Connery with his sexy ass and they're like, oh man, you know, his dick works. Uh, Literally, that's (laughs) what a big chunk of this movie is about. May decides she's going to keep him as a pet so that they could study the secrets of erection, sexual arousal, um, and how that, if they can still somehow salvage that side of humanity, but yet... Uh, nix the whole procreation exhausting our resources part so uh, she was like well his dick still works so let's you know see what we could do to get him turned on and and you know study this and what makes that work and maybe we could apply that to some of our men or women uh, and still ramp this up because they're all bored as shit without uh, sexual attraction so (laughs) That was my take on it. Yeah, which, and, and there's a big chunk of this movie of them just various sex, S-E-C-T-S, <laughs> of these uh, utopian population that are uh, for minutes at a time just trying to turn Sean Connery on in various ways um, to get him to ca- cop a boner so they could like, you know, see what that's all about. <laughs> such a weird movie the, and, and to it your really point is. this is like the most 70s shit <laughs> this is like <laughs> you know burt reynolds was up for this role and and i almost would have rather oh seen man burt reynolds. he would have crushed that as well yeah dude he would have rocked this role oh yeah which by the way and for anybody listening that hasn't seen this movie don't think that the movie is going to go into anywhere near as much depth as Ryan just went into, okay? This movie just <laughs> it puts all that out there for you to figure out on your own after the movie when you have a podcast to record and need to fill an hour. I took a deep dive into uh, into Sean Connery's <laughs> boner habits to bring this info to you guys. So please, don't follow me. Do not go down the rabbit hole. I, I, I took this on myself. <laughs> I did this to myself. <laughs> so, Ryan, getting back to the film, you're right. You know, they've, they're kind of studying him as this pet. And then, again, I want you to explain this scene because he's kind of walking around. He's sleeping in a cage. They're studying him, blah, 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 going to the tabernacle, looking at his thoughts. And then all of a sudden there's this luncheon and there's this group and they psychically attack this blonde dude who's absolutely refusing to go to the second level and I don't understand what's going on. So you guys listen to this and tell me if you know any better than I do. The monster is a mirror. And when we look at him, we look into our own hidden faces Meditate on this at second level. No. No. I will... I will not go to second level. No. 
Let's hear it. What the hell's going on? So is, is that's friend, right? Uh, and he's arguing to, to, to whether or not to keep Sean Connery and all of that. And they're revolting. Is this where we're at in the film? Yes, sir. Yeah. So uh, friend has taken a shine somewhere to Sean Connery. He's kind of taken Sean Connery and made him his slave where may wants to uh, extrapolate sexual information. Uh, friend has kind of taken him on this tour. He, uh, Sean Connery's, you know, uh, bringing him around in a little rickshaw around town. Friends kind of introducing him to the different groups amongst the utopia. Some are like mindless drones. Some are um, the aged uh, called renegades that they have been punished so many times uh, that years have been stacked against them. And when they get so old, they just shove them in this like ballroom uh, to go. Okay, so that's and- the elderly mob, so to speak, Correct. that he runs yeah, into yeah, yeah. a little bit later. Okay. Yep. Those are the aged people that have been punished so much. Um, so, that, you know, they end up going down there and teaming up with them later. And friend actually gets punished enough to where he gets sent there himself. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, it was just an argument of, of science. For, May wanted to keep him for himself. Consuelo wanted to get rid of him altogether and said, this guy's trouble. Um, that's May's friend amongst the Eternals. And then... Uh, Friend, I know this is getting confusing. I'm sorry. Uh, the, the I was going to say, I'm possibly more confused than I was before I asked you the question. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> everyone wants a piece of Sean Connery for different reasons. This is what we're getting at. And some of the Eternals decided to team up against this blonde dude and say, we need to get him out of there. He's, you know, rousing up uh, Sean Connery for the wrong reasons. And uh, he's telling him too much and letting too much out of the bag. Uh, and he gets punished for various crimes and sent to the renegades uh, in the ballroom and, and aged accordingly due to that. I think second level, if I recall, was just an instant fuck you. You're old now. You go with the renegades, whereas everybody else would get like a year or two punishment here or there. And it would like slowly get to you. But you're still like good to go for a bit. Second level, I think, was fuck you. You're out of the cool kids club. And you have to go hang out, you know, with the old folks. And uh, and so he so, did. 
So why did they so and then so right after that too they also come to a sort of determination that they're going to give Zed 7 days before they kill him. Why was that? Why did they decide to kill him? Uh he was just an experiment, you know. He was fodder and he was never meant to be amongst the Eternals uh cuz he's not one. He's a a caveman as far as they're concerned um that they brought in to study and eventually they're going to get rid of him. That was always May's concept is Consuela wanted to get rid of him right away and May was like well she's orange orange headdress woman uh, was like well you know hold on hold on let's let's see what his boner's like <laughs> let's see his dick first <laughs> and we'll go from there uh, so we could study his sexual prowess because um, his penis still works uh, though it is evil it still shoots seeds so they wanted to study him but the, the, I think the plan was always to to nix him and Consuela, a green headdress woman, decides uh, enough's enough at this dinner. You guys have had your fun. Um, Zed is, you know, because they're letting him roam free and stuff too. It's kind of like this guy's going to be trouble. I could already sniff it out. And they give her more or less, they take a vote and they're like, uh, you have a week. So you got a week to get this dude. Um, uh, an erection that you could, you know, study and, and figure out what's going on and bring us some info. And if you can't prove his value within a week, we're going to kill him uh, and just get rid of this and go back to our utopia because this is disrupt disrupting uh, our our perfect society. And perfect example, uh, this blonde dude uh, to my left who we need to have a talking to and they do. And then they all do like some weird chant, some, you know, ohm kind of meditation mantra thing. And they will him to the, to the second level, to the next level where he gets thrown in with the renegades and gets aged. Yeah. Is that, am yeah, I, there you go. Am I close there? Does that, uh, does that, you know, clear things up? I, I believe it does. I believe that's the, the most clarity I've ever had on this movie in the three times. I've seen it. <laughs> I'm, this is I have studied for this movie more than I have studied for anything in my entire life. So I hope you're really <laughs> appreciating these. No, uh, dude, this is fantastic, man, because it's it's awesome, man. This worked out perfectly because I came to this episode with nothing but questions. And here okay. all you have are the answers. So, I mean, I, I have this, nothing is, but answers. this is podcast gold, sir. This yeah, is exactly yeah. what this was meant for. So around this time, <laughs> Sean Connery's realizing he's in over his head and, uh, you know, uh, he has some homies uh, that were back on the the Mankini horseback parade uh, back on the in, amongst the bandits amongst, you know, where he was originally when they were getting the guns and stuff. And uh, they come over the hill and they see him. But there's like an invisible wall um, that is separating the utopia from some of the other areas of the world, um, namely the bandits that are kind of keeping him safe. Uh, keeping them safe, the the Eternals from the the dystopian people. So we see at this point Sean Connery do some of the best mime work I've seen in quite some time where he's up against this invisible wall that obviously wasn't there. And I just love <laughs> watching mime Sean Connery, mime Connery uh, go nuts on the on the mime work. That was pretty solid. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and then, you know, shortly after that, too, we get like, the big reveal of Zardoz, you know, and this, uh, is, this is another thing that I'm going to ask you about. So he basically sort of flashes back to, uh, you know, he's he's back in his home vortex and he finds this library. And within this library, it turns out that he taught himself how to read. 
And in doing so, it really wasn't that long until he stumbled across this book called The Wizard of Oz. Maybe you've heard of it, maybe you haven't. But uh, that's when he learns that record scratch. That was more of a car screech, but either way, you know what I'm getting at. Zardoz is just a combination of the last four letters of wizard and Oz jammed together. And this proceeds to wreck Sean Connery. Okay. He just loses his shit, goes crazy. No, everything's a lie. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. My question to you, what the fuck does any of that have to do with anything? And why do I care? Right. Yeah. No, they, uh, you were, I think you were most accurate with the, with the car screech because I wanted to get out at this point. I was pissed. <laughs> Stop the fucking car. I'm getting out. Like, <laughs> like a pissed wife on Christmas Eve. You stopped the fucking car, Harold. I'm getting out here. <laughs> I told you enough. Um, I was, I was pretty upset, uh, about what, it's just uh, the title of, of the movie. They, like, they it doesn't do, have to do with anything. They do a big buildup, too. Like, they show that scene actually several <laughs> yeah. times because he's, like, slowly getting his memories back on how he ended up there. That's the whole thing we didn't talk about, too, is, like, he... We this movie opens very confusingly with him waking up in the head and shooting Arthur Frain and uh, slash Zardoz and him f- flying out uh, and all of that. Um, by the way, when he flies out of the the mouth of the head after being shot, Arthur Frain slash Zardoz, yeah. uh, that had a very Wicked Witch of the West uh, in the tornado totally. vibe to it as well. And so much as he kind of hung yeah. there and. Uh, uh, kind of looked in and I'll get you my pretties and that sort of thing. So it, it, it felt very much like, uh, like that, but yeah, I, uh, as he slowly, and I'm sure that was re- intentional as absolutely. As he's slowly getting his memories back, he keeps remembering going to this library, being led there by this trickster of sorts, kind of a Loki type kind of giggling and, and bringing him along. Uh, he would read books. He was taught to read, uh, and taught to understand and comprehend over this time, we find out uh, all these things leading up to, I, I believe that was leading up to him waking up and in, in all of that um, in the head. So that that all happened as as a prelude that we're now kind of dribbled that information throughout the film as he regained some of these memories. And then we find out that one of the books that the culmination, the book that he was supposed to be shown was The Wizard of Oz by L. Frank Baum. Uh, and yeah, oof, I was pretty mad at this point, um, at that reveal still on board, but just <laughs> like, I didn't, I don't know, whatever. Well, we'll just give them a mulligan on that. Yeah. It was a weird trick to hang your hat on cinematically, but regardless from there, we come back and then I don't, I didn't, I didn't, I don't even know. Uh, again, maybe you can fill in some gaps here, but like shortly thereafter, he comes back and he's sort of like walking around and then he like ends up getting put in this sort of protective bubble, so to speak. And it's supposed to be this like indestructible bubble. Right. And like the big sort of resist Spartacus moment is that he's able to tear through the invisible bubble, which seems to yeah, which is really just an inflatable sn- Christmas snow globe that you'd buy at Walmart for twenty nine ninety five. <laughs> like that's all he was in was like a Christmas <laughs> snow globe inflatable. It's basically the bubble from Bubble Boy that he walks around in. It didn't seem yes. particularly robust, but regardless, it's enough to completely change and transform the you know apathetics and uh, you know who become. I guess amorous, ready to bang because wow, this guy's power—he you know pierced the impenetrable shipping plastic, 
uh, so yeah. they like almost have an orgy, but then they don't. And then Zed runs away and he runs again into the, uh, that elderly mob, the Eternals, like you talk about. And then all of a sudden, uh, Ryan, uh, he's in a wedding dress. Whoa. Yeah, so the, what was that? Here's the thing. So, uh, I, I'm going <laughs> to, <laughs> anytime anybody starts something with, here's the thing, you know, it's believe, great. And you know, they're giving digging a college, way up believe, their ass to pull something out. So just strap uh, in and let's hear Ryan. I can't believe I'm giving my NYU college dissertation on Zardoz 1974, <laughs> but here we go. So Wizard of Oz, my take on that, uh, to answer you a little more succinctly, was that that's the whole pay pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Uh, the floating head we have in the beginning was kind of like the Wizard of Oz floating head. Um, in so much as like the the Wizard of Oz in the film, the wizard, the actual wizard, not the... Not the doctor that was playing him with all the the lit levers and stuff behind the curtain, but the uh, the image of that was all a facade, and it was meant to rule over the Munchkins and the and the land of Oz to keep peace. Because ultimately, as long as a a uh, an over uh, oversourcing power was around, everyone else would stay in line. Uh, but also, it removes free will. That's always kind of the 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 sacrifice, right? So uh, whenever you have a uh, a fascist government or some kind of overarching ruler, you're going to have to s- uh, surrender some of your democracy of sorts. And so uh, I think that the Wizard of Oz novel was just a metaphor. Like uh, Arthur Frame was trying to show that, uh, and he created that. By the way, Arthur Frame created that whole thing about Zardoz. That was his idea to the Eternals. Like, yeah. so we got these... Uh, these cavemen over on the coast that we can rule over and have them work for us. We'll teach them to farm. We'll teach them to get us supplies. And then we don't have to do it. Then all we have to do is just chill. And that got boring for them. So I think Arthur Frayne decided he was going to topple this Jenga uh, tower and uh, this whole house of cards thing and push it over and show uh, Zed, Sean Connery, the man behind the curtain. Hence, the Wizard of Oz and show him the book and say, look, this is where I got the idea. This is what's up. This is what we're doing. And it's all a fucking ruse. And, and I'm sorry, but uh, now we can use you as this revolutionary type to team up with the renegades, with all the people that are upset with what the ruling class of the Eternals, the snobby fucks, um, have been doing against your people, against their own people, and so on and so forth. So then they decide they need to sneak him over to the Renegades to go meet with Friend. Friend was the one ally that Zed had at this time. They kind of had, like, befriended each other, so to speak. So they had to sneak him in to that ballroom where now Friend is living because they took him to second level. So they had to dress him up in, uh, like, a gown or whatnot, like an old woman's gown, to try to... Uh, not raise any eyebrows uh, as they sneak him into that ballroom to get him over with friend and say, you know, uh, look, and Arthur Frayne and all of that. And they kind of get their little band of merry men together so that they can uh, start a revolution, knock down the wall and take down the utopian society. Yeah. Did I nail it? No, I believe you nailed it, sir. All right. Consider it secured. Connery had a big, big old problem cross-dressing, by the way. He was not, not oh, down to clown in a in a bridesmaid's <laughs> dress. John Borman had to really had some he had an uphill battle to sell that one. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck, John? I, 
<laughs> That's a good Sean Connery there, Ryan. <laughs> you should be commended, sir. <laughs> so the other thing that we, we soon realize uh, from there is that the tabernacle that this whole thing, most of the story takes place in this mirror room, with this crystal room where they go and project his thoughts. It was It was created by the Eternals and by all the people. And basically what they decided to do is just shun their entire knowledge of death. And that's sort of how they became immortal because basically this thing of like, and correct me if I'm wrong, Ryan, but it's like, if we, if we're not aware of death, then we can't die because we essentially like don't know that we're supposed to, but then now they're trapped and they can't die. Was that kind of the the idea behind it? So I think the idea behind it, we're about an hour and 10 into this film. And I'm thinking that John Borman is assuming that your LSD is kicking in right about now. And he doesn't give a fuck about story anymore. It just goes off the rails. And you have psychedelic imagery. You've got crystals, new age uh, imagery and metaphors. Um, there's... Uh, old people fighting young people and topless people and uh, mindless people, people that can't speak, uh, that are like mindless zombies of sorts that uh, now have regained the um, a desire to have sex and procreate and are all over Sean Connery and he's all about it. Then you got May that's horny as fuck that wants to bang him under a sheet after showing him the secrets of the world. I don't know, man. There's a lot to unpack <laughs> in the last like 45 minutes. They're in a wax museum for a little while. Um, yeah. Th- that there's was some really time weird. travel elements that go back and forth where he's like out of time, uh, where he's able to learn all the secrets of the world outside of the constructs of time as long as he's inside yeah. this crystal thing. Dude, I don't know, man. Uh, and I think uh, that I'm, was part of it is that the uh, crystal was really the sort of impetus for all of this sort of advanced knowledge, et cetera. Yeah, uh, because yeah. We're, we're basically taught that, like, all of these people have pieces of this crystal that end up getting, like, inserted surgically, like, into the fronts of their brain. And so that's what sort of gives them these psychic powers and this sort of it connects them all. awareness. I think that all, isn't that what gives them the eternal life too? That's what uh, slowed down Correct. their life. I think yeah. was the crystal and the crystal is a sentient concept too. It's a, it's a sentient being. It talks and communicates with Sean Connery and others. And they are able to communicate with each other this way as well. Um, it almost sounds like a mixture of Hal from 2001, a space odyssey and um, uh, Kit from Knight Rider. Uh, where he's just like constantly checking in in a whiny way. And then eventually we find out he reveals himself to Sean Connery outside of time. And he's like, I'm right in your hand the whole time. Blah, blah, blah. And, uh, <laughs> Sean Connery's like, oh, fuck me. <laughs> and, you know, moves on. So. Yeah, well, and the whole thing, you know, becomes resolved when he basically, you know, to your point, he has to sort of go into the crystal, you know, like you said, outside of the sort of construct of time and space. And it's this sort of, you know, very trippy 1970s, you know, it's almost done like a fun house with mirrors. Um, and there's just a lot of atmospheric sound effects and synth tones. And I believe it's sort of like he ends up shooting some sort of personification of his own self that's wearing the mask, which probably some sort of metaphor for like destroying the old brutal him that uh, 
you know, lives back in the dystopian vortex, and, you know, and then he's, he's basically able to sort of, like, reverse time with his mind, and then, like, all these people sort of follow him, and, uh, you know, it's shortly thereafter that, you know, finally there's this, like, old man who's on his deathbed, and he's able to die, and, uh, you know, the stone crashes to the ground, and it's finally like, oh, okay, you know, through the results of this man's liberation campaign, uh, you know, we can we can finally die. You know, peace can be achieved, which, yay, we can finally die. Hooray. Yeah, like, the, the curse of the eternal. Because <laughs> a, a lot of these Eternals found that it to, to live forever actually was more of a curse than a blessing. Sure. Um, so I think that was the moral lesson that the movie proposed or the quandary to the viewer is, do you really want to live forever if you could? Or or is the, uh, the ticking clock of man... Uh, you know, the, what keeps us going and and uh, and allows us to be the best versions of ourselves. Do we lose all our fun, um, you know, and all of that by by living forever? And, and you know, the, the sacrifices that would need to be made and met to 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 make that happen. Um, I also have in my notes that uh, that whole crystal scene with Sean Connery uh, as he's going through that uh he's in the crystal and he sees all the mirrors and stuff like that. He ends up shooting one. Um, that was the lamest version of the ending of, uh, enter the dragon that I've ever seen. So, um, <laughs> enter the dragon came out a year before this in 1973 with Bruce Lee. So, uh, I almost wonder if, if, uh, John Borman didn't, didn't swipe that. <laughs> I don't know. Because <laughs> uh, it seemed awfully close. Yeah, we've seen it several times since then. You know the the mirror funhouse deal, but uh, you know which yeah. one's the real me? You know, Ooh, spooky. <laughs> and from there, you know, we get the uh, you know the this new sort of cult that like worships mortality. Zed's Dane the Liberator, uh, but you know it's then that the what I'll refer to as the army of the Mankini, which is really what they should have been called the entire time. Uh, they arrive and they finally, you know, shoot and kill this entire hippie cult and all these sort of old people and eternals and blah, blah, blah. And so everybody's able to get that sweet, sweet taste of death finally. And, uh, and then of course we get that nice, you know, seemingly sort of random last sequence of, uh, Zed and Consuela having a kid and sitting there and getting old and we get the sort of time-lapse sort of thing. I, I didn't like, get that Consuela all of a sudden was down to clown with, with Sean Connery. Yeah, after right. He, she was like trying to get rid of him the whole time. And then all of a sudden she's like, I will be your maiden. I'm like, you No, you hate this. dude. Like, what are you doing here? Get out. Right. But, yeah. Go figure an unmotivated decision in this movie. Who to thunk it? Yeah. Yeah, so Sean Connery hooks up with her. They actually uh, procreate. Uh, the penis is no longer evil. Um, he shoots some seeds, and then they go live in a cave and go to restart humanity, I guess, in that weird time-lapse scene of a cross-dissolve to various ages yeah. of, of Connery, Consuela, and the kid as they slowly age in the cave. There's, like, some cave paintings in there as well to kind of allude that, that mankind was starting over. Um, and then all of a sudden, uh, it ends on two skeletons wearing their costumes from the film. Uh, and that, I gotta tell you, man, that skeleton Connery hit a little different, uh, this, this viewing, uh, of this movie, <laughs> that was a little, it was like too soon, bro. You know, even though it was a film, it, it's like, man, that's, 
Yeah. <laughs> totally, man. Totally. So, uh, so yeah, dude. I mean, that's Zardoz, and uh, that's Ta-da! it's definitely uh, unto itself. And uh, so, Ryan, let's hear your three adjectives, dude. Uh, psychedelic, man. This was like, like I said, Sid and Marty Croft, nineteen seventies gold. Mwah. Nonsense. This movie made uh, no sense. I did the best I could to summarize it for you and to deep dive and, and bring you some answers. But I think for the casual viewer, if you just watch this and don't have a laptop next to you to take notes, uh, good luck. Just enjoy the the, the psychedelic imagery. Um, and it was just kind of a a slog. Like it would. I don't know, man. It was really hard to keep it like, I'm telling you, I said at the beginning, I both love and hate this movie. This was a tough one to wrap my head around. So it was, it was just a, a, the best I could come up with was just a slog. Like it was hard to get through. I was kind of, until I found out these answers that I'm bringing to you right now, these hard hitting answers to these great questions, uh, then they're just throwing a bunch of shit at you with a guy with a pencil drawn on mustache and all that. And if you're into some silly shit and you don't mind, uh, going on a little sci-fi romp in Ireland, great. Uh, but if you're looking for some sense to be made by this, without doing the research that I just jumped on the grenade for the audience, good luck. And, and I just kind of felt like that was a disservice. In fact, uh, to further prove my point, the floating head shit at the beginning of the film, the studio made him tack that on because they were like, what the fuck is this? What did you bring us? Like, didn't you just make <laughs> Deliverance? Like, that was cool. Like, we won awards for that. And then now this? Like, uh-oh. And a lot of the footage was missing because of the ruined, uh, you know, techniques they used. And so they're like, dude, you got to slap on an intro or something. And so we did that floating head shit. And uh, yeah, and it still didn't help. Uh, I don't know. (laughs) I got nothing. (laughs) That's great, man. That's great. Yeah. I mean, we got some pretty, uh, pretty similar adjectives here. So uh, my first one is trippy, which is really just a uh, synonym for psychedelic. And yeah, you know, as we talked about the entire episode, it's just, it's pure 70s, it's coming at you hard, it's tripped out sound effects, it's tripped out visuals, it's just a bunch, Second of, level, bunch baby. of psychedelic nonsense. <laughs> uh, for, for me, the film was also incredibly unfocused, like I had alluded to earlier, just didn't really know... I, I know that you, you broke down a lot of this stuff for us, but like I said, you know, the the film plays like... Like the like, like a coke-addled version of everything you just said, right? Like some guy's like, okay, yeah, you know, we're going to do this, and then we're going to do that, and then we're going to introduce this, and blah, blah, blah. But it's like you you really just forgot to connect the dots for the audience all along the way. So it just moves from one thing to the next, and it's constantly introducing these concepts that are not explored within the course of the film. You know, you want to go ahead mm-hmm. and, like you said, do a deep dive afterwards and go back and fill in a lot of these gaps because that's, that's what you're going to have to do. The gaps are going to be there, guys. The gaps yeah, are right. there for the people who've seen it, and and you're going to have to fill them in after the fact. So, definitely an unfocused film. And then, memorably unmemorable. Now, Ryan, <laughs> this is a film. <laughs> I love like that I so much. You, <laughs> like I talked to you about, like there was so much that I remembered about this film in terms of especially the opening uh, sequences with you know the the wizard guy and the the stone head and everything but like it was also a film where I had to go back through my notes to jog a lot of this it was like a couple days after watching it and I was just like I don't remember anything about that film and right? I've seen it three times and I continue to not remember anything about this film and I think it speaks to its 
sort of random elements and, and the unfocused nature of the production, or at least the way the story is told, where there's nothing to hang your hat on. It's like, you know what it is, dude? It's a series of family guy cutaways. Okay, yes. mashed together into a movie. And you know how, like, if you try to remember what Family Guy cutaway goes to what episode, you can't really do it because it's not tied to the plot. So you can't be like, oh, yeah, that joke is that part when Peter does this or Lois or blah, blah, blah. It's just randomly inserted there. So there's nothing else for you to hang your hat on or hang any sort of connection to the story. So that that like I remember certain visuals, you know, like you're talking about. The Mankini on Connery and, you know, his excellent pantomime skills and all these different sort of things. But, like, if you had asked me, you know, the day after I saw the movie, like, what happened? I'd be like, uh, he walks around a hippie encampment. That's about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I hope so, I've done uh, my part to make this movie a little more memorable for you. I've given you something to hang your hat on. Oh, yeah. If nothing else, you made this podcast episode a lot more memorable. That's for sure. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Fair. So, yeah. So, uh, all right, man. So, let's go ahead and, and formalize this bad boy. Grade rating for Mr. Ryan Siebold on Zardoz. Go. Th- this is going to be a tough one here because I'm telling you, man, this is two movies for me. This is a movie that I both love and hate. This is a piece of trash movie uh, that I ended up kind of like, it's a cult favorite you know it's one of those movies that i'm glad that i've seen that i could reference in cocktail parties that i could say uh, yeah i've seen that that's bananas if it ever comes up in conversation or jokes get made um but it's not a good movie uh at all (laughs) and i would not recommend this to anybody so as such uh with an asterisk i'm going to give this a d plus wow generous okay generous you think that okay yeah yeah no d you said you said said b plus right like boy no, D like Sean Connery's dick. <laughs> oh, D. D plus. Yep. Oh, wow. Yeah. That actually yeah, seems a little harsh. Yeah. Dude, I mean, wow. That's that's really crazy. I honestly, This is a I D was, plus movie that I like. Yeah, this is a D plus movie that I like. Huh. So. Interesting. You know, take that for what it is. So, yeah, no. Okay, so uh, I, dude, it, it was, there was, what are we at? Like a little over an hour on this episode. There was. No part of the previous hour and change that I thought that I was going to have a higher rating than you did. I felt like I was a lot more critical about this film, but apparently not. Because I'm giving it three out of five, dude. Because wow. I didn't hate it. Yeah, no. It's, it's like you said. I, I There were aspects of it I loved. I loved the sound design. I loved just the overall vibe. I loved the, the, the approach that it took. Just the batshit crazy nature of everything. And, like, I wouldn't, like, oftentimes when I'm giving these ratings... I, I, I kind of think, like, how excited or pissed off would I be if I had to watch this movie again, right? And so, and I kind of use that to guide me. And, like, at, even after doing all this, I'm like, you know, I probably would watch it one more time, you know? Like, like down the road, like, I don't need to see it anytime soon and get to the bottom and piece together everything that you put together. But, like... I would probably still watch it one more time in another oh, like five, seven, ten years. Let, so, let so, so I can't. So, yeah. So, so if I'm willing to to walk through, so if I'm willing to sit through this movie again, I, I can't say it's bad. And anything yeah. less than than three star or like a C on your scale is bad. So, you know, it wouldn't be fair to go that low as far as I'm yeah. concerned. 
Yes, it is. Because that, let me flip the script on you. You also, you can't, you, I appreciate that you ask yourself, uh, how mad would I be if I had to sit through this movie again? And that governs your ratings. But you could also say, uh, this podcast is for the people, for the listeners. And how mad would they be uh, if they took your rating and applied it to having to sit through this movie uh, even a first time. So <laughs> uh, there's that. Yeah. Uh, also, you get hammered, uh, drunk on a, a idle Friday night. Uh, you're going to stop by McDonald's, Wendy's, Burger King, go get a grease bomb of a burger. You're not going to give that burger a higher rating. Will you go back next time you're hammered and want a grease bomb burger? Yeah, probably. But it's still a D-plus experience. I mean, this movie is a <laughs> D-plus gut grease bomb burger of a movie. Uh, I wouldn't recommend this to anybody, certainly not my friends, um, but I will admit that I've watched it and secretly I enjoyed it. So that's... (laughs) So Ryan, would you, would you, do you think that it's fair to say that this movie is the Sonic of movies? The Sonic Sonic burger of movies? No, I hate Sonic Burger. Sonic gets a true delight. <laughs> yeah, there's something about no, that place, a- man. It all tastes like weird vanilla f- flavoring. I can't explain it. Their fries and tots are just shit. Oh no, dude! I I, I really love their their tater tots with you know, oh that wow sort of crap topping. Yeah, no, 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 they're really good. And we don't even have any out here. They're only like on the way. Like if you head north, uh, like to Vegas, like or to like uh, Las Vegas or something like that. Like on the way to Vegas, there's tons of Sonics. And yeah, every time we stop there, it's always like, I am loving this experience while also recognizing that this is shit food that's possibly only half a step above poison that I'm putting in my body. But regardless, I really enjoy it. We're going to make this stop every damn time. All right. I mean, well, then there you go. That, that's <laughs> It's the Sonic Burger of fucking movies. Zardoz, 1974 <laughs> by John Borman. I don't know what to tell you. Excellent. Excellent. Well, hey, guys, that has been Zardoz. Had a lot of fun talking with you about this one, Ryan. Uh, it's a batshit crazy film. I think that we did a pretty good job of representing the movie, so... Uh, for the people that have already seen it, you know what you're getting into. If anybody out there hasn't, I feel like you know what you're getting into. So, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to call this mission accomplished, Ryan. I hope I cleared some of the uh, confusion up. Um, you know, it's really just about Sean Connery's boner. That's, I mean, that's really what we're getting at. It's <laughs> hour and 44 minutes of that. And, and then, you know, the repercussions of chasing it. You know, it's kind of the, the holy grail of boners. So, you don't want to drink from that <laughs> golden cup. It, it brings repercussions that you're not ready for absolutely absolutely and hey guys just a quick note here we do want to remind you that we love talking to you we love hearing from you so please don't be shy about reaching out got a few different ways of course we have a lovely instagram with a lot of really cool choice artwork and quotes from the show that's a lot of fun make sure to follow us there we're on the twitter at esoterica cinema you can hit us up. You can t- talk about anything that you like or dislike that we talked about on the show. Of course, you are limited to your 288 characters there. If you're the type that doesn't like to be limited to characters, you can also send us good old-fashioned emails where you can just rant your head off about how great we are or how much we suck or how great that muffin you're enjoying right this very moment is. All that's on the table and more. That's esotericacinema at gmail.com. And then also, we really would appreciate it if you give us the subscriptions. So uh, if you listen to this on Spotify, go ahead and give us the follow. If you listen to this on Apple, uh, please do subscribe. Uh, We would really love your support there. And just as a reminder, 
Our next episode is going to be a really interesting one. We're going to be back in two weeks, and the two films that we are going to be looking at and discussing on our full episode are Bowfinger and Dagon. So, really, really interesting films there. Couldn't be more different, at least seemingly. We'll find out. So, thanks so much for joining us. Hope you had a great time today. We will see you on the next episode of Esoterica Cinema. Ugh, my big meeting is tomorrow and I've been tossing and turning all night. I've tried melatonin and other medications and nothing seems to work. Life in the fast lane is rough. If your busy mind and daily stress is keeping you from the rest you need, try Zardo's. Zardo's is proven to help you sleep through the night and is fast acting, so say goodbye to all those countless hours of restless nighttime behavior. Huh, just two little pills were apparently all I needed this whole time. Thanks, Zardo's. Zardo's is a narcotic, so talk to your healthcare provider before use. Clinical studies show Zardo's help patients sleep up to 10 hours with one dose. Zardo's includes small doses of chloroform, so talk to your doctor before use. This is incredible. I'm so tired already. That was... really fast acting. Wait, did you say chloroform? Side effects may include irregular heart rhythms, lucid dreams, headache, drowsiness, and shortness of breath. Some patients reported erectile stiffness caused by graphic dreams. These effects may be made worse with alcohol use. I can barely keep my eyes open. Ask your doctor if Zardo's is right for you, and get the full night's sleep you deserve. Is he sleeping? Yep, I think he's out cold. May I see his boner now? Yeah, yeah, 50 bucks, just like we agreed. Okay then, here you go. Now, let me just, uh, take a peekity-peek here. Huh? What the... Uh, what's, what's, what's going on? Ah, oh, shit. Hand me the rag. Hand me that rag. There you go. There you go, buddy. Breathe deep. Breathe deep. More Zardos for you. Sleep well, sweet prince. Now get, now get his pants. Get his pants. Zardos is only approved in Syria, Venezuela, and certain parts of Rio de Janeiro. From the visionary minds at Aberrant Literature comes a short fiction collection unlike any other. Aberrant Tales, bursting at the seams with stories of creativity, excitement, and wonder. Aberrant Tales takes the very best in modern science fiction, fantasy, and horror, and weaves them into one thrilling eclectic package. Featuring the works of Ashton McCauley, M.T. Roberts, Daniel Curland, and Jason Peters, Aberrant Tales is available today in ebook, hardcover, and paperback versions. Online and everywhere books are sold. Published by Aberrant Literature.